It's t-shirt time again. Go to theincomparable.com slash shirt for information about three t-shirts that we're selling. There's the Incomparable Robot, the Incomparable Zeppelin, and the Total Party Kill Dragon. All shirts go off sale on July 8th. So please order before then. The Incomparable, number 253, June 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. I convene this edition of our old movie club. Old movie club. Thank Mm. you. I'd like to welcome (laughs) all of our panelists. That was Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. Hello, sugar. David Lohr is out there as well. David, hello. Hey, you're a fine man, sister. Monty Ashley, (laughs) welcome. Uh, That's, you're a good man, sister. You're a peated, you you mug. (laughs) I corrected. <laughs> Dan Morin is out there. Hello, Dan. Don't crowd me, Jason. <laughs> Erica Ensign. Hello. Hello. I'm just looking forward to you birds cracking Foxy. <laughs> hey. Uh, a first time visitor, long time listener. The inter- Internet's own Dr. Drang is here. Hello. I don't mind telling you, Jason. I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to <laughs> talk. <laughs> Bravo. And uh, the ringleader of the old movie club because he's uh, increasingly old in years, but always old in spirit. It's Philip Michaels. Hello. Hard bitten dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the delivery, really. Yes. So, Phil, yeah. tell, tell us what we watched. <laughs> Explain to me what we watched. Explain old to the movies. listeners. As you, as you may have guessed from, um, from the, the, the peanut gallery, we watched a lot of Dashiell Hammett movies tonight, or specifically movies based on the work of Dashiell Hammett. And even more specifically still, we watched The Maltese Falcon, the 1940... 1941. Thank you. 1941 version. I would have gotten the year wrong. And we also watched The Thin Man. 1934. 1934's <laughs> The Thin Man. Both based on Dashiell Hammett books, as previously indicated. All right, so the Dashiell Hammett is our is our uh, connecting factor here. Yes, he uh, a mystery writer of some repute, and uh, 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 a, a couple of movies that I enjoy one one more than the other, and probably one more than a lot of people in this room oh. right now enjoy. <laughs> to, to give away the ending, where should we start? Oh, dealer's choice. What what do you what do you say? I I will I like to end on a positive note. Okay. So let's start so, with the Maltese Falcon. Oh then. damn you! Oh, well, oh my oh. god, this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> Rage. Mm. Well, Jason, <laughs> the Maltese Falcon is a great movie appreciated by film goers of discerning taste. <laughs> I'm sure. A little bit sophisticated for some people, <laughs> but um. It's the story of Sam Spade, as played by Humphrey Bogart. He is a uh, detective in San Francisco. His partner is Miles Archer, apparently the worst detective in the world, as we as we find out early on in the movie. Seconds after we meet him. Yes. Anyhow, a dame stumbles into Sam Spade's office uh, uh, with with a story that we we quickly everyone in the knows is is a false story. Her sister is in town. There's a man with her trying to trying to kidnap her. And won't Sam Spade uh, uh, go and and try and get the girl back? But uh, Miles Archer sticks his big stupid nose into it and uh, <laughs> and says, "Hey, I'll do it." And for his troubles, Miles Archer gets shot. Also, the man he was tailing gets shot. So the police 
figure either uh, Sam Spade killed uh, killed the man who killed uh, Miles Archer, who is a, a gentleman called Floyd Thursby, or since Sam Spade apparently had an affair with Miles Archer's wife, maybe he killed Miles Archer too. And uh, so Sam decides that the only way that he's going to uh, get the police off his back is to solve the crime himself. So he 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 gets in good with the girl whose name is Bridget O'Shaughnessy and discovers that she, what she really is in town for is for uh, an object called the Maltese Falcon. Mm. Dun, 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 dun. And there are a bunch of other uh, uh, crooked characters in for it as well. There is uh, Peter Lorre, who plays a gentleman named Joel Cairo, who is a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, cinematic <laughs> character. And I will... <laughs> Mr. Spade, I read in the newspaper, is there some unfortunate connection between the man Thursby and your late partner? It, it, Peter Lorre delivers every line like that. He is the... This is the most... This is maximum Peter Lorre. This, oh, yeah. This is peak, Peter Lorre is Lorre you'll peak ever Lurie. find. Yeah. Uh, so he is Joel Cairo. He is looking for the Maltese Falcon. And Sidney Greenstreet, who I think has over the years surpassed Joel Cairo as my favorite character in this movie. He plays he plays a character delightfully named Casper Gutman. Right. Slick. AKA the Fat Man. In his film debut. Yes, this is the first movie that uh that Sidney Greenstreet ever made, uh known as this the Fat makes- Man. This yeah. makes Porkins seem like a, a good idea for a character. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he uh, is sort of like the the guy who wants the Maltese Falcon the most. He has a um, he has a gunsel in his employ <laughs> named Wilmer, played by uh, old movie club favorite Elisha Cook, Cook Jr. Jr. Yeah, nice. classic yes. cinematic punching bag Elisha Cook Jr. <laughs> <laughs> this is what started him on that path. No one ever saw him as anything other than you're going to die horribly at some oh, point. Yeah. In a it's movie. not his only role getting beat up by Bogart either, right? Because yeah. he's in the big yep. sleep too. Yeah, he yep. is this. He is literally the Steve Buscemi of his day. <laughs> in that, <laughs> you, you look kind of, you have these kind of crazy oh. eyes, and we're just going to humiliate. And you'll probably wind up dead by the end of the movie, or at least beat up. Well, the minute you see him, you know terrible things are going to happen to <laughs> Elijah Cook Jr. in this. Nothing film. good has ever happened to Might this man. Might as well get used to the idea. And he's careless with matches. <laughs> <laughs> so there are many twists and turns, and and betrayals, and uh, eventually the the Maltese Falcon does wind up in Sam Spade's hands. Um, they have the classic Dashiell Hammett mystery movie moment where all the crooks are gathered in the room, and mm. and the <laughs> how the crimes went down is explained. And eventually, what happens is that uh, uh, Elisha Cook Jr. is um, is properly arrested for the murder of uh, of uh, Floyd Thursby. Uh, the cops also grab Joel Cairo and uh, and Casper uh, Gutman, and it turns out that Bridget O'Shaughnessy was the one who gunned down Miles Archer. Ooh. Shock, gasp, and uh, she's counting on Humphrey Bogart, who has fallen in love with her, to uh, you know let this one slide. But he he won't do it. He has the this is uh, if you're familiar with movie dialogue, this is the I won't play the sap for you. Uh, and she is sent away to prison, and that's the end of movie. And that's the quickest plot summary I've ever done. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Especially considering him. Now I'd like to go back to the beginning. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> so we move on to the, the, the <laughs> man. It's funny. 
20 minutes in, 20 minutes out. The next hour will be spent, Phil, explaining every detail of the Thin Man plot. Oh, no. No, no. no. Uh, It it occurred to me as I was watching the Thin Man um, that the Maltese Falcon is one of the uh, rare, I don't know that, I wouldn't call this a film noir, but it's one of the rare noirish movies where the plot is actually comprehensible. Hmm. And and they actually, I I, I find, maybe Hmm. it's because I've I've seen it so many times, but... Um, it, it took a lot of pausing and rewinding for me. It's, it's, is it really important? It, it's not that important, but... Well, that's the thing. These noirs, the, the is. plot is is usually so Byzantine and yet so, I, for me anyway, so uh, um, not really part of why I would enjoy the film. I mean, it's more of just, it's something to hang the characters. Yeah, exactly. and the it's window, on, window right? dressing. Here's why these people are hanging out together. Yeah, a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think that having seen this movie you know, dozens of times yeah fair mm-hmm. to say i i'm able to 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 follow the the plot lines and and it, it it takes like five six viewings before it finally begins to oh that's that's why they're going to berlin game got it um <laughs> so it, it, i i mean i uh, i i enjoy it i think it's a i think it's a good story and i i like the humphrey bogart character a lot i some may disagree and I opened the floor to them. This was my second time watching The Maltese Falcon. And actually, the first time, I really didn't think very much of it. I was kind of like, meh, it's, it's fine. And I, I liked it much better this time. And I don't know how much of that has to do with understanding the plot better and how much it has to do with any other random factor that could be going on. But yeah, these movies kind of do do a little bit uh, compared mm-hmm. to the first times I'd watched them. Be right back. Got to go watch The Maltese Falcon again. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> So this is sassy Jason tonight. Yeah. yeah. I think the reason I like it is not necessarily the plot. I think it's the collection of characters. I, I do like yes. the, um, the, the, I, I've spoken of my admiration for, for Joel Cairo and, and Casper Gutman. I think even Elisha Cook Jr. does a good job with his, uh-huh. with his hapless uh, gunman. Uh, and, and they throw in a bunch of other just minor characters who in other movies he wouldn't think much about, but they, they're, 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 there's the lieutenant who wants to, corral uh, uh sam spade oh, yeah. <laughs> hates him so much yes yeah. <laughs> well you can understand that listen right? spade <laughs> if you're guilty i wouldn't blame you you'll get most of the breaks from me if you had a guy like that in your town you'd really want to arrest him for something wouldn't you can we get a just a applause for uh, a cameo by john houston's father walter houston as the man who dies <laughs> immediately <laughs> upon entering sam spade's office he, he gets to say two words and then he dies because he's been shot full of lead he's the uh, captain of the boat that brought the uh, maltese falcon to, oh, nice. to san francisco apparently jack warner wouldn't let him do it unless he promised he wouldn't ask a penny for the role then he could stumble into the room and die. Apparently, he also kept screwing it up on purpose to screw with his son. <laughs> and I think this was also, we mentioned yeah. this was uh, Sidney Greenstreet's first movie. I think this was John mm-hmm. Houston's uh, It was. It was his first directorial director. Yeah. movie. Yeah. I-, I believe his lines upon entering the office are, you know, Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Passes out and dies. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> oh, we got the, the other cop, the, the good cop to the police lieutenant's bad cop, uh, is played by Ward Bond, who appears in every movie ever made. <laughs> Notable dialogue? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> the, the classic final line of the movie, everybody remembers it. Yeah. His jaw is the reason why they had to switch to cin- cinemascope after a while. <laughs> it consumes the entire screen at full frame. No, he, they, the uh, AFI did that list of 100 greatest movies a few years ago, and he's in eight of them. Mm. Oh. Is he memorable in any of them? 
<laughs> Some of the the John Wayne ones, he's he's memorable. Yeah, in fair, his score gets run up because he has like he's in five minutes of uh, Gone with the Wind. It's the best five minutes of the movie. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I was excited to to see. Um, Are you going to say Jerome Cowan? Of Jerome Jason? Cowan because he's a miracle, miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. And I was like, hey, there's jo- oh, he's dead. There's your crossover Goodbye. too, though, because in the second movie, Mr. Sawyer from Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street plays right. the lawyer, and cousin Eustace also shows up in that briefly from uh, from It's a Wonderful Life. Is the best five minutes of Gone with the Wind that tracking shot of all the dead bodies? Okay, second best five minutes. <laughs> You're listening to the 34th Street Venn Diagram. <laughs> all of these movies, for me, these old movies, are uh, the, my enjoyment of them is based on how many of the people I recognize from Christmas movies I've seen in those movies. That's pretty much all the old movies of this era that I've ever seen. Uh, so I get very excited when Cousin Eustace pops up drunk at a party. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't? I am in full agreement with Phil. I think this is a great movie. It's one of my favorites, mostly for the degree to which the character actors get to just walk on stage and be Sydney Greenstreet as hard as they can yep. and take their time. They're all Sydney Greenstreet, like all five of them. Well, you can tell how iconic Pierre Laurie's character is when you consider that he also provided the voice and catchphrase of Ren the Asthmatic Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. Like this is the movie in which he yells, "You bloated idiot!" Yep, mm-hmm. you stupid fathead. <laughs> yeah, is, is he always? Does he always talk like this? That's his voice. That's his voice. That's his voice. I've always yeah. heard him, you know, uh, imitated in that fashion. But I didn't know if that was something he was putting on for this film, or if that was uh... no, because you see him in Casablanca or in, yeah. in mm-hmm. uh, the Mr. Moto films and in some of these other films. <laughs> he's a little, he's a little more subtle, and and in this, and and certainly in Casablanca. It is exaggerated to such a degree because he has to be sketchy. <sighs> and by the time by the time he reached the 1960s and he's in films like Silk Stockings, it, he is just full on. Hey, I'm Peter Lorre. <laughs> that's right. It's like Bob Dylan was inspired by him, or that's <laughs> Bob Dylan as Peter Lorre is that imitation. <laughs> nice. Before he did American movies. He he did musical comedies in Germany, mm-hmm. like on the stage. <laughs> he also he also did. This is a movie that's uh, sitting around on my DVR that I I haven't gotten around to watching yet. But he's also in M, where he plays oh, a where yeah. he plays oh, a child true. killer. Oh, I'm looking that's forward his to his breakout that. film. Yeah, yeah. It's super yeah. creepy. Doesn't talk a lot it during is. it, but he does have one really good speech. My favorite bit for him in, in this movie is the scene where he you know pulls the gun on Humphrey Bogart. Asks him, you know, stand in the middle of the room, interlace your hands, we're going to search your offices. And after the whole to-do, after, you know, Humphrey Bogart knocks him out and searches him and takes all his stuff, he gets his gun back and immediately asks him to, The like, same speech. Yep. Yeah, I love yeah, it. That was not <laughs> so good. Why did you risk injury to yourself? <laughs> Let me take a brief break. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Loot Crate. If you classify yourself as a geek, a gamer, a pop culture nerd, Loot Crate is the subscription box for you. You pay less than $20 a month and get between six and eight items of gamer and pop culture gear, licensed stuff, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, much more. I'm wearing a Loot Crate t-shirt right now that I got. It's a Dungeons & Dragons shirt. It's awesome. Make sure to head to LootCrate.com Snell and enter code Snell to save $3 on any new subscription. Every month, there's a different theme at Loot Crate. All items are curated around that theme, inspired by classic movie and video game releases, as well as pulling from pop culture franchises. Previous crates have included items from franchises like Star Wars and Marvel, The Walking Dead, The Legend of Zelda, and many more. This year, thus far, there have been crates featuring some exclusive items from Star Wars, Voltron, some epic geek apparel, and an awesome retro gaming inspired 
inspired mashup figure, a crate all about strategy games, a crate all about covert operations and spycraft, and there's only more awesomeness to come. Basically, Loot Crate is like a friend who knows what you love and surprises you every month with an awesome present. You have until the 19th of any given month at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and you will receive that month's crate. Once the cutoff is passed, that's it. It's over. So go now to LootCrate.com slash Snell and enter code Snell to save $3 on a new subscription today. And thank you to Loot Crate for sponsoring The Incomparable. So I will agree that I like the uh, the character actors here. I like their characters. I like the way they act. It all goes together <laughs> with character actors. Yeah, sure. The film overall didn't do a whole lot for me. I Interesting. Why? Uh, well, a variety of reasons. Okay, defend <laughs> yourself. Jason unloads, I think I would, I will, Enumerate I will gently them. say. Yeah. All right, well, from the very start, we're told that Miss Wonderly is a knockout, and I, I don't agree. <laughs> this is uh, the Mary Astor, uh, Mary Astor, who's at, who, Miss Wonderly is the, the pseudonym she gives. First um, of three. The internet's uh, Miss Wonderly. She's actually. She, she doesn't do much for me. No, my, Bridget my, O'Shaughnessy. Uh, no, she's, she's the worst thing about this movie. If there's. Yes. To me, one flaw in the movie is Mary Astor is terrible in it and is not a femme fatale and is not a knockout. She, she does some world class fidgeting in at least one scene, though. So, you know, give her that. Um, Spade as a character, I just don't like him. He's a smarmy ass and I don't really want to root for him. I mean, Interesting. Certain, oh, man. I'm, I'm agreeing with Steve. To a certain extent, almost. Oh, Almost no. every uh, noir has uh, the the lead, you know, to uh, be a bit unlikable, but there's usually something to help overcome it. And and in this particular film, he's so one note. So first, first two things that happen with, that we, we really get to know Sam Spade. First off, his uh, his his partner in this detective agency has been shot to death. He calls. He has to break the news. So he calls his secretary and says, now he's shot dead. Don't, don't get excited. Don't get excited. <laughs> and keep the wife away from me. Keep her away. I love that. I'll yeah. fry before I have to talk to yeah, her. That's really nice. And then and then the next thing he does is say, can we scrape his name off the windows and put just oh, yeah. my name up there? Yeah. He is not He is not dead 24 hours and they are already My notes caught. read Sam's also kind of allowed after yeah. he's kind earlier of, writing Miles kind of, quite allowed. He also takes every opportunity to take people's money. Literally take it in mm-hmm. some cases. Like he goes to Bridget's apartment like... Give me all of your money. Well, you can hawk your jewelry or something. I don't care. But then he gives it back to her. That's that's a ploy to to see how desperate she really is for his help and whether she's trying to play him or not. Because she hands him the he, she, he makes her hand him the whole five hundred dollars. Then he hands her back what looks like about half of it. Yeah. And if you really want to dislike him, look at his smile as he's punching Joel Cairo. Oh yeah, <laughs> he really <laughs> likes punching this guy who smells like gardenias. The the line when you're slapped, you'll take it and like it. I mean, please. <laughs> and then uh, you know the 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 denouement where we're supposed to feel that Sam is pained about having to send O'Shaughnessy up the river doesn't work at all because their their so-called love seems so utterly contrived all along. I think, again, that's a fault of Mary Astor, not to, could be. to yeah, put too much blame be, on her. For whatever reason, it didn't work at all. So. I, I blame both of them. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's entirely possible, too. <laughs> well, and it's, some of that is a movie... I think some of that has to do with the, the, the time... the movie made in the times. Like, you're kind of expected, like, to have these leads have some sort of like, oh, they fell in love at first sight, which doesn't really make any sense in this movie since no. he doesn't trust her from the beginning. I tried to tell myself that because I watch a lot of movies from this era, but there was just, maybe it was just because there was no chemistry there, but I, or maybe it was because he was such a jerk all the way through. I couldn't bring myself to believe that he'd actually fallen in love with her. I thought he was just playing her this whole time. And then we get to this last scene. And, and I think that's why I didn't like the movie the first time I had seen it because... 
because I, I just didn't buy it all the way through. The second time, I knew he was supposed to be in love with her, so I was at least able to ignore that part of the plot and enjoy the character actors. But that I, I still think that the two leads are, are the biggest weak spots for me in this film. They have zero chemistry. That is that is for certain. Um, what else can I pay you with? <laughs> I, I, I do I, I do want to defend Humphrey Bogart a little bit here and, and the character of Sam Spade. I think he's supposed to be kind of unlikable. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, mission accomplished, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, this is this is this is Mike Hammer all over again, where right. you, mm-hmm. where it's just. But see, the thing with the thing with the Mike Hammer film that we watched is he's so over the top hamming it up as he's being an ass that he didn't seem like a legitimate ass to me in that movie. It's mm. just like you, you couldn't really take him seriously. Whereas because Bogart is good, you really get the impression that this is an awful person you're watching. <laughs> Mike Hammer is a caricature of an ass. Sam Spade is an ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and going back to the books, I mean, Mike Hammer is is that next generation after Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe and all that. So he's he's kind of inspired by that. And and he is kind of a jerk in the books. And and Spade is very much a jerk in the books. He's actually yes. maybe oh, a yes. little he's more likable as Bogart than he is just he's on the back. page. No, in the in, in the book, no. uh, uh, he is not a very pleasant person, and yeah. Yeah. and Dashiell Hammett doesn't make any pretense that he's supposed to be pleasant. Yeah, in the book, there's a bigger deal, I think, made out of the fact that the only reason he's doing any of this is because he feels he's supposed to because his partner got killed. Right, right. Well, which I like because it's the whole thing with, like, Miles was kind of a jerk. I mean, like, the whole thing that we learn about him, you know, people like, what does the cops say to him in the first scene? Like, Miles I guess had he, his fault, same as anyone. I guess but. he must have had his good qualities, too. I guess so. I guess yeah, so. I guess so. I just, no, no, I, no one says a kind word about Miles at any point in this movie. But he was good in Miracle on 34th Street. Oh. <laughs> Did anyone else think it was super convenient? His wife already had, like, a morning get-up the next day. Like, I just had it waiting, just in case. <laughs> I had a good feeling about this i ended up really <laughs> disappointed that the uh that sam's hubris never really caught up with him as his secretary had suggested it might at the beginning oh, I, I think that's a very legitimate criticism of the movie and um, maybe that's just mm. because that's how things usually go in these films that you know the, the the jerk character gets his comeuppance in some way but if if there's a criticism i think of of bogart from from my perspective it's that he's too on top of things and and that he 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 never really has that moment of of panic like oh oh god all these plates are going to topple down on top of me that I'm well other than when he gets knocked out yeah. he's like a Ferris Bueller you want to punch so Ferris Bueller he's a man of nice judgment and many resources yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean he he throws his little fit inside of uh, Gutman's suite but that's and in, as he's but walking that's... out he's got that big smirk on his face yeah, like, I just thoughts. pulled one over on him you yeah. just want to slug him come on <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it I I'm I'm shocked at the at the at the bad feelings toward this movie. This is, um, <laughs> at various times in my life, this has been my favorite movie. Um, well, and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to the podcast. To the podcast. Welcome to the incomparable. You've been lutzed. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's not to say that the, the, the final scene and the speeches where he's sending her over don't play out well. That's that's true. And one of the problems, I think, is I don't think Bogart knows how Spade is supposed to feel. I don't think he had a handle mm. on what the character is supposed to feel. And I don't think anyone had a handle on what Spade is supposed to feel. Spade is an impenetrable character. That's kind of the whole point uh, in the book. The Maltese Falcon, uh, unusual for a detective book, especially one written by Hammett, is not done in the first person. 
So you have no sense of Spade's inner life. Isn't it kind of the actor's job to fill that out, though? Well, yes, but if he fills it out, then he's not Sam Spade anymore. Uh, and if you did watch the 31 version, the 1931 version, which is terrible. It is. When we're done here, I want to talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievably bad. Uh, very sexy, but unbelievably bad. Um, he tr- that actor whose name escapes Ricardo, Ricardo something Cortez. Like Cortez, yes, Stanley Cortez's brother. Uh, he's he tries to give Spade some inner life. Uh, it's a bad inner life, but it's but he tries to give him an inner life. It doesn't work at all. Now, partly it's because Cortez is not a very good actor. Uh, you know, I, the, the point of Sam Spade is that he is impenetrable. He has this code, and that's basically all he is. That's what makes him a good detective. That's why he doesn't falter except when he takes the spiked drink from Gutman. Uh, it's, uh, t- to me, the big mystery in this movie, and the big mis- what's always been the biggest mystery, is how did Gladys George get such high billing? Uh, hmm. She plays Iva. Right, uh, and she's she's essentially a non-entity. She's barely in, in it, this yeah. movie, and uh, I, how did she get to be? Was she, who was she sleeping with to get <laughs> such a high uh, high ranking? I was certain at one point that she was going to turn up at the end and cause a, a series of events yeah. to unfold, and she never that, did. That, that B plot really doesn't go anywhere. No, no. yeah, her the the B plot and, and her character, uh, the Iva character, makes does more in the book than it does in the movie. But that's you know I I have no idea why she's it's, it, uh, she's just there to make third. to make uh, Spade look like a heel and yeah and, and to color his relationship with Miles that's sort of her only reason to exist. Well, I think it's that and and the fact that you've now you've got three women all around Spade and who are all devoted to Spade in some way or another, and uh, you know Iva, Bridget, and Effie, and. I don't know exactly what to think about that, but I'm sure that theses have been written about it. Um, it's it's just it's an interesting thing how these three women all kind of revolve around Spade, but never never get to him. I, I really liked Effie. I mean, yeah. the performance oh, yes. I was kind of yes. lukewarm on, but I love the character. I, I'm, I'm always a fan of of the uh, the the can do girl who gets it done and basically keeps the main character afloat throughout the entire movie. Which, the gal you know, Friday, yeah, yep. Well, and she's exactly. and she proves herself. I mean, like I thought that the scene in particular where she talks about going to see Miles's wife and she sort of deduces that that Iva mm-hmm. had been out, right, by all these, like, clues. What if I know? told you your precious Iva had not been in the room but for five minutes? Yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> but she's a smart cookie, right? Like, she yeah. knows what she's doing. She is not, like, just there to be the help in some ways. And I and I feel like, yeah, she does get that. Unfortunately, she gets, like, a little sidelined as business goes on. But I agree with Erica that I think she's she's one of the characters I really like for this. And I think of the women in this, probably <laughs> well, the best female character. That is a high bar to clear. <laughs> <laughs> I like her expression when she arrives with the Falcon bundle in hand. She just has this little smile on her face. Here you go. Drops it off. Turns on yeah, her heel. Sorry to ruin your day of rest. Not the first one you've ruined. <laughs> now I'm getting out of here before I get dragged into your nonsense. Yep. <laughs> well, also, don't start, Sam. I had her all night. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great oh, line yeah. and very well delivered. Yeah. Lee Patrick does an, does an excellent job uh, uh, playing her. 
there's a lot of great just writing in. I mean, like you know, this is lifted largely from Hammett. And, it's almost you know, entirely, it's, yeah. Right, it's yeah. almost verbatim, right? And I think yeah. you know the the parts where it shines to me is the the dialogue, the the patter, right? Like because that's that is what Hammett's all about. But I do love some of the staging of them. In particular, I love there's a scene where uh, where Peter Laurie decides to leave the apartment and he's just like, oh, it's getting quite late, and and then just like trails off in the middle of the sentence. Yeah. Bolts. <laughs> I love that. The staging of that is fantastic. Nope, not even going to finish this sentence. I don't even have an excuse. I don't even know what the what the rest of that sentence was. Um, but pretty much anything that that uh, Sydney Greenstreet says yeah. is hilarious. Yep, and mm-hmm. awesome. Well, I, I found myself really wanting uh, more Laurie and more Greenstreet, and the lamenting that they don't come into the film until later. Um, not liking Bogart as much, and again, he, you know, he's sort of not meant to be liked here, but really right. not liking him as much as I thought. Um, I still, I, I enjoyed their interactions uh, together, the Green Street and and Bogart interaction, and Laurie and Bogart, and when they're all together, and Elisha Cook Jr.'s there, and he's he's right in front of Elisha Cook Jr., he's explaining how they're going to throw him to the wolves. <laughs> I think that's a great scene. I, li- I loved all that. I mean, the, tw- the twisty, I, I'm not, maybe film noir is not my thing. I mean, the twisty plot stuff, I just was like, oh, you know, uh, okay, more, let's throw more in. Let's just, yeah, sure. I, I have no idea. It's like they put a blindfold on me and spun me around like 20 times. I'm like, all right, now watch the movie. It's like, I have no idea what's going on. But the but I do agree the these character actors uh, and the characters they're playing are very uh, are great. The the stuff that was my favorite was in a very um, specific part in the in the middle of the film. I like I, I as we mentioned earlier. I love that um, that uh, Cairo. Um, corner spade and then says come to the center of the room which is a really bad plan because spade just immediately punches him and takes his gun and then he gets the gun back and does it again that that just i was laughing out loud that was a really funny scene i like uh the when you're slapped you'll take it and like it you'll like it and you'll take it and like it and i really love i really love when he tries to talk the cops out of coming into his apartment and then there are the shouts and he says well i guess you're going in yep (laughs) also just the entire story that they concoct there which is patently ridiculous and they do. They allude to that later, where Cairo says, "Like I, yeah, I stuck to that story when the cops questioned me the whole time. I really wish you'd come up with something better." And it is. It's a terrible story. I felt like an idiot. He goes to a completely different story midway through. <laughs> he completely changes it because the first one isn't going off properly. Sorry, they felt like every single D and D campaign I've been in, where someone's <laughs> tried to talk them out of themselves out of something, and they realize, nope, this doesn't actually make any sense. I'm just going to keep going and keep making something up until something sticks. Yeah, the I hope you know what you're doing. Uh, a crippled newsie took him away from him. I just got him back for him. That's that's got to be a winner for us. Uh, yeah. Oh, also, you always have a smooth way of saying something. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Learn to stutter? <laughs> yeah. That, that, uh, I, so I like that was that was my. That was my favorite stuff. I, and I kind of don't want them to be – I think the thing – I agree with you, Jason, that they are the most – kind of the most in, in, enticing part of the film. But I almost don't want them to get arrested at the end too because they're off on this quest. Like, oh, yeah. well, this didn't work out, but we're going to go back and we're going to find it for real this, this time. Pool. It's like the beginning of the Raiders of the Lost Ark or something, right? Casper Gutman and Joel Cairo will be back in Maltese Falcon 2, The Search for the Falcon. Well, I just – I love that Cairo is going to be his little sidekick trailing yeah. along after him too. Well – that brings up, I think, the – it's pretty clear that Peter Laurie's character is coded as homosexual, right? Mm-hmm. He smells of gardenias. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? Right. In the book, it, 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 tell, it tell is me more. explicit in the book. I thought the gardenias thing was just like an Egyptian thing or something. Mm. Well, he, well, he is in brown face, so we've got that to overlook as well. <laughs> but How can you tell? It's black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Peter Laurie in other things? He's a pasty guy. Yeah, oh, is he? 
Yeah. But it's also interesting that uh, Wilmer is several times described as a gunsel, mm-hmm. which you may assume, as the censor did, gunsel means kid with a gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It actually means a young man kept for homosexual purposes a oh, catamite. Dear. Yes. Oh, dear. Yep. So yes. if you would like to go back and look at the scenes now I got to look where, at catamite. Yeah. <laughs> Gutman's relationship to Wilmer takes on new uh, light when you understand what all of these words mean. Also, there's that exchange between uh, O'Shaughnessy and Cairo where uh, he ma- there's a boy outside. Well, you can get around him, Joel, just like you got around that one in yeah. Istanbul. And, yeah. Yeah. Eh, that, eh, and they, th- that's the first time Joel Cairo gets punched by someone other than Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> which, which is funny because at the same time, it's the uh, it's it that they sort of drop the casual homophobia a couple other times where like Spade's getting questioned by the police and he turns to the other cop and says, what's your boyfriend getting at? Yeah. yeah. It's like, they're not shy about it in some cases, but with Cairo, you know, they do sort of dance around it with Cairo's character, it feels like. Yeah. But I, I, I was like that Houston made sure that it was there, even if the censors didn't catch it, even if the audience didn't catch it, it was there. And it's, you know, it's pretty faithful to the book that way. Oh, yeah. Yep. All those times when Gutman is saying, I couldn't be fonder of you or if you were my own son. <laughs> but off you go to the police. Anyway, I'll get another one. But if you lose a son, you can always get another. Mm-hmm. There's, only There's only one, one. Maltese falcon. <laughs> I literally, in my notes, it says, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> so it's just like, Boop. all right. Well, but again, I just sort of wrote. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate this movie by any stretch of the imagination but uh, you know the 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 plot left me frustrated and it it felt really slow to to warm up and i didn't really enjoy uh humphrey bogart very much and uh i didn't believe the relationship at all and so i i i for a few of these movies that we've watched for the old movie club we get to the end and there's a but i love you and i'm like come on no you don't get to just and i guess this is just the shorthand of the time maybe but it's like i don't believe it i never saw it i don't believe either of these characters has a legitimate feeling toward the other at all they're both just in it for the for the money or the revenge or whatever so that that was a that was a problem you know jason if you go back and watch it a couple years later i would be interested to to see if you because i that's exactly how i felt after the first time i saw it and and i liked it a lot more simply i think i i was really intrigued by the plot i was you know not literally but on the edge of my seat just really excited because i didn't remember exactly how it played out because there's so many twists and turns so of course i wasn't going to remember so i was excited to find out where it went so at least i i had that well noir definitely rewards multiple rewatches where yeah, on agreed. subsequent watches you pick up a little more of the plot each time. Uh, yeah, the plot. Aware was... of the evil machinations well, but there's, before they uh, happen. I don't know. It's, I kind of dig the mythology of the plot in terms of the whole setup with the, you know, the, the Knights Templar as in, historically inaccurate as many parts of it are. Um, but it pushes it, it, all the Last Crusade buttons. It, well, yeah, and I think the end of it too is the is the part that most people probably remember, even if you don't remember the rest of the film, is the fact that it turns out to be a fake, right? You know, right. and so in yep. in essence, the plot doesn't matter because everybody's been fighting and arguing over this thing that is worthless. And so I think well, it's you a know, MacGuffin in the exact sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, the, exactly. it's the ultimate MacGuffin. Yeah, and so in that case. I think that that's I I don't know I don't I I am I don't have a great I agree with Steve that after you watch it a few times like the plot does start to hang together a little bit better but at the same time it's not what makes this film stand out to me. I I, I would also say that um, maybe the ending of the movie is a little bit of John Huston's fault 
I, I I've never found him to be the mo- the the warmest or uh, or most humane director. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say I've been maybe I've been spoiled by the likes of Hitchcock and Kubrick and the noir that we've watched, but Houston's direction here is really pedestrian. Yeah, he he, yeah. he 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 is what? not. I, I'm I'm I pulled up his uh, uh, filmography on. Uh, on uh, IMDb, and I, I'm having a hard time finding movies of his that I, I really go for. I like the Asphalt Jungle. I think that's a that's a good one. And, and uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre. Treasure the Sierra, Treasure Sierra Madre, Madre yeah. is good. Key Largo, Key Largo is good. Key Largo is good. Well, yeah. in defense of his direction in this movie, uh, the moment when Wilmer wakes back up and he yes, sees everybody's shots. big looming faces oh, yeah. at him, those are mm-hmm. great. That's yeah. a great one. Also, I noticed that if you when you watch it again, like the the reverence with which the camera treats the Falcon is kind of great because every time it's in the scene, it's kind of the center of the action, like the bundle and the Falcon and all that. He does a great job of that. There's a couple other little shots too, in particular the the shot where Bogart answers the phone. And it's Gutman on the other end. There's a nice little zoom in, and Bogart yeah. really sort of perks up there. So I agree that you know a lot of it does seem kind of pedestrian, but there are a few little standout moments here and there where he does when he takes more risks. The stuff ends up paying off a little better, and I feel like if anything, he didn't doesn't take enough risks here. Mm-hmm. And there are some subtle things too, like you get um, I can't remember if it was the very first scene with Peter Laurie, but you have a really nice low angle looking up at Peter Laurie because he's got the upper hand in that conversation, and all the shots of Bogey are pretty much straight on, and you get that kind of recurring throughout the film when you get those scenes with with multiple people in them talking to each other. The camera is not it's not a POV from the other people in the room. It's kind of a, a very subtle you know tilt in one direction or the other depending on who has the upper hand in that conversation i'm just used to noir being full of a lot of a lot of shadow play and uh the camera almost being like a a secondary character like a narrator kind of poking you going look at this look the rope is hanging out of the thing and and there's just none of that in here maybe that maybe my expectations were set incorrectly but really the only place where that happens here is right at the beginning where you know miles and Spade or Archer and Spade is projected all over the office from the, yeah. the windows. And later Samuel Spade, though. There, <laughs> two, there are two things I think that contribute to that. The before they shot a single frame, he wrote out a very detailed script with every shot in the script, and he gave that to the actors so that they would go and rehearse without him, and he might fine tune stuff that they were doing on the set. But for the most part, they're kind of doing it by themselves. And he didn't want to deviate from any of the things he had planned out ahead of time. How much of that is a first-time director? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The other thing is they shot the entire movie in sequence, which you almost never do. Oh, wow. So, so you can see as the film goes on, the shots get better and, and the characters get a little more interesting. And, and it took like two and a half weeks to do. <laughs> There's another John Huston movie that I, I watched like in the of last year. It's uh, with Humphrey Bogart and Peter Laurie. It's called Beat the Devil. That's mm. a good. That's one of my dad's favorite movies. Oh, I, yeah. I, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, the the only part I liked is there's a shot with um, with uh, Gina Lola, Lola Brigida. That's easy for me to say. And she, and she is framed like the prow of a ship. And in the background, mm. Jennifer Jones is doing stretches. That's a good shot. But the rest of the movie is just garbage. And uh, <laughs> well, it's them being funny and self-indulgent. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's just a that's a drunken romp by the by the cast and crew. Yeah, really. exactly. I don't think that was intended to be a serious movie. No, it was not. I was going to agree with Erica about um, the first scene between Spade and, and Cairo is it's not flashily shot, but it is very well shot. Uh, 
as you move back and forth between the two, uh, where the camera is, yes, he's letting the actors go, and especially Peter Lorre. And I think one of the things about Humphrey Bogart's performance in this movie is that he's being very generous uh, to especially Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre steals every scene in this movie. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, he's just – the only – Odd oddities. Well, everything's odd, but the only things that seem false is uh, when Bogart punches him and he <laughs> he flies through the air <laughs> in, into the couch, and then uh, and then when he cries a- after doing the uh, you you bloated idiot you you imbecile that those don't come off quite as well uh, as everything else in the movie. But he steals. Uh, you know, the, when he goes out, when the police are there and he says, well, it's getting very late and I just have to, it, it, it's, it's just beautiful. Yeah. You know, our conversations are not such that I, I want to continue them. It's, it's wonderful <laughs> how he plays with his cane. Uh, it's, oh, the uh, twirling which, of, of the cane, oh, yes. oh, which man. is, which is also, Everything you know, which is also obviously another, you know, homosexual, uh, yeah. bit of Everything, symbolism, David? which, mm-hmm. which is all you can do in, uh, in a code in 1941 movie. Yeah. That and, and, uh, things that smell like gardenias. <laughs> and the, the little piano trill that they play whenever, uh, they catch a whiff of the gardenias. The, <laughs> <laughs> That is one thing. I don't know. It, it, this, I don't think I noticed this in many of my earlier viewings, but in the most, in the recent viewings I did before, before the podcast, the incidental music in this movie sounds kind of like a 50s sitcom. There's <laughs> yeah. a, there's a lot of, it's, it's oh, like yeah. Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. In dramatic scenes, not just not just in scenes that are meant to be comedic. He eludes Elisha Cook. He he like ditches him, and there's this sort of what what the place. This <laughs> <laughs> is a tense moment. Uh, well, they didn't have all the uh, film noir stuff worked out quite yet. No, yeah. well, no, it's the it is the dawn. I mean, of of all the the classic archetypal PIs, you know, I mean, I I read all of Hammett. I read all of Chandler. I read them young. I read them before I saw the movies, which helps making sense of the plot. <laughs> and uh, and I got to say, you know, as much as I enjoy Hammett's style, I always enjoyed Chandler and Philip Marlowe much more than I enjoyed Sam Spade. Chandler may be a better – Hammett's a really good writer, but Chandler may be even better, I think. He's a better I think writer. The big, Hammett's a I better think the plotter. Big sleep is a, the Big Sleep is a better movie, I would argue. <laughs> if we're going to complain about not following this plot, you can't throw The Big Sleep yeah, in. I, I, no, I mean, yeah. that plot makes no yeah. sense, but I love that movie. Monty, do you want to talk about the uh, 1931 Maltese Falcon? You mentioned uh, that you wanted oh, to. Yeah, really do. quick. There are two other adaptations of this yeah. book. One is called Satan Met a Lady. It's from 1936. <laughs> it's a comedy, and it stars Betty Davis. And oh. man, it's weird. Yeah, it's before Betty Davis had evolved into the Betty Davis characters. They were making her be like an ingenue in things. And uh, the 1931 version has really good actors in the small roles. It's got Dwight Fry as Wilmer. He uh, He's Renfield from the Bela Lugosi Dracula. It also has Una Merkel and Thelma Todd in it in tiny, tiny roles. My basic problem with it is that right at the beginning of the movie, right after Spade says, I don't feel like looking at Miles Archer's body, he talks to a Chinese guy. And then at the end of the movie, you see a little newspaper clipping on screen that says, <laughs> Samuel Spade, private detective, caused a sensation at the trial when he produced Li Fu Gao, Chinese merchant, the only eyewitness to the archer killing, who positively identified Miss Wonderly as the murderess. <laughs> Which means that in this adaptation, Sam Spade knows the entire movie 
who did it, <laughs> yep. which I think really changes the dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> well, given how omniscient he is in this, it seems likely that he may have known throughout this film as well. Well, he, I'm sure he's suspected. He, yeah, he certainly suspects. Uh, At least yeah. in this movie, there's the question, did he know, does he care about right. her? Right. But in, in the 1931 one, he knows all along, and it's just not as good a movie. He winds up being even more of a jerk. I do, I do like that, that while Spade is uh, punching Joel Cairo out and clearly relishing it, that he does it all while puffing away at his freshly rolled smoke. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the well, man's man for a, you yeah, right there. How can you not admire that, you people who don't like <laughs> Sam Spade? <laughs> I do want to say, every time I, 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 I pick movies, I, it, it's my great hope that you, you all enjoy them. I don't do this to, to, to torment you. or Lies. Except maybe Jason. He has other methods of doing that. It's not like seven 1776 or anything. Uh, but th- this is the first time I've actually been depressed that people uh, that people don't like uh, didn't didn't enjoy the Maltese Falcon the way I do. Dislike is a strong word. Well, for the did, way I yeah, I, I I I I wouldn't say this is the my my favorite movie ever or even in the top ten. But boy, I, every time it's on, I, I yep end up watching it. So yep. it's it's in my top twenty five. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Sponsor break time. I want to tell you about who should be handling your email. And the answer is nerds, email nerds, people who do nothing but email. And by that, I mean the people at MailRoute. I've told you about them before. MailRoute, these are the people who created the first cloud-based email filtering system. They sold that to Microsoft, but they're back. The email nerds have returned. It's like the return of the Jedi. They've got innovative and effective spam and virus filtering. It's a world without spam or viruses or bounced email. Here's how it works. MailRoute is a service that lives in the cloud. You don't have to maintain any hardware or software. They do all of that for you. All you do is point your mail from your domain at MailRoute servers. So instead of all the mail addressed to you coming to your server, your server load decreases dramatically because all the spammers who are trying to hit your server and send you spam and sending it to all sorts of randomly guessed email addresses, you never see them. That all goes to MailRoute. MailRoute knows what's good and what's bad. It denies the bad stuff. It puts the bad stuff in a box somewhere that you can look in if you need to. You can retrieve stuff with one click. You can whitelist senders so that they never get filtered to spam. But otherwise, the good mail just comes to your server. Your server sees only good mail. It's easy to set up, reliable, trusted by large universities and corporations. Desktop users will find the interface dead simple to use. Email admins and IT professionals have got all the tools in mind. There's an API for account management and support for all of the acronyms and buzzwords that you'd expect. LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging. Mail, 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 bagging, bagging. Outbound Relay, everything you'd want from the people who handle your mail. These are the email nerds. They sit around thinking about how to make email as trouble-free as possible. This is all they do. So remove spam from your life and from the life of your email server for good. Go to MailRoute.net slash Snell for a free trial and 10% off for the lifetime of your account. That's MailRoute.net slash Snell. And thank you to MailRoute for sponsoring the incomparable. And now we have an entire half a podcast to go, and I'm kind of sad. Phil, if you're feeling unhappy, why not just take a few drinks for the next you're movie? Here. <laughs> Way ahead of you, pal. <laughs> yeah. Line him up. That's why he's depressed, too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think we've transitioned to The Thin Man now, haven't we? I think maybe we have. Okay, yeah. the, the Thin Man. The year man. is 1934. 
the movie The Thin Man. The Thin Man. And if you want to talk about a movie that was shot in two weeks, this was shot in oh, two weeks. Yeah. This was a B movie. This was uh, this was okay. The the director um, uh, W. S. Van Dyke was basically known for okay, move them on. We got twenty more of these to do today, <laughs> and so his nickname was One Shot Woody. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, my nickname. <laughs> <laughs> different, different nickname. Different it was nickname. his porn stage name, One Shot Woody. So, um, <laughs> the Thin Man is the story of Nick and Nora Charles, um, who, if you um, if you were first introduced to them by the parody characters uh, in uh, Neil Simon's Murder by Death, they are nothing like those people. No, uh, uh, Nick Charles is a um, a former detective who who married a society lady and uh, became basically a drunken layabout. Yes. He used to just be a drunk. Now he's a layabout. And uh, they're back in New York after uh, spending some time out on the coast. And there is a mystery to solve. Let me tell you a little bit about this mystery as much as I dare to. <laughs> this better make sense. No, it will not make sense. <laughs> oh, this one uh, I was able to follow. It makes, it makes sense. Really? It yeah. makes sense. Well, that shocks you, maybe, me. Maybe you, maybe you should summarize. <laughs> yeah, this, this one I was, <laughs> that far. I, I was able to follow and, in fact, also was able to prefigure the entire thing. But, yes. I was able to follow it. It helps to watch it sober. I, I had to pause it mm. and explain it to Lauren at one point. She's like, well, what's going on? And I was like, well, I could tell you. <laughs> and, it, you know, I detailed the whole thing. She's like, oh, I was like, yeah, I, somehow I absorbed this one. I'm going to test you then. Who is the thin man? The thin, the thin man isn't, isn't wine at the Wynant. thin man? Yes. 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 An old yes. Man. He's also very yes. angry. And, and when he wants to go away, he says, I'm going to go away, but I'm not telling anyone where I'm going, but I'll be back Arr. in a couple of months. But dad, I'm getting married. No, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. Arr. Where'd you put those bonds? Mighty. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, I as I was watching the first ten minutes of the Thin Man, which does not feature William Powell in any way, mm, yeah. <laughs> just an angry <laughs> machine shop guy. Although it does it does feature the revelation that science is done by waving a box with vacuum tubes back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> that is an important invention, Steve. That's how it's it worked in nineteen thirty four. And the most important part of science is you must have a spotlight position just so so your shadow is projected onto the back wall. Steve, that is part it. of that is an important part of the smelting process. Okay, so <laughs> I, I think we are confusing our listeners and i would like to dial it back a bit to the actual story we meet um professor Wynett, who is a thin angry awful man who yells at people and and is just the wacky inventor and he has apparently uh well, i guess let's he be honest the dude's not really all that thin he's just old well, well he's he's thin he's, compared to but everyone the else old everyone man else is a says, terrible name for a movie steve yeah he's <laughs> he's not sydney greenstreet come on no the thin man refers to his corpse after it <laughs> has been thin. skeletonized. Now for a we're definitely months. getting well, ahead of Then everyone's a thin man in this movie. Yeah. Then yes. the title would be many all thin men. All skeletons look the same as far <laughs> that as that was uh, the original title. All skeletons yes. look the same. Yes. <laughs> Shall I continue? Nah. Please do. No. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Yeah, he's a terrible... Uh, we, we learn quickly that he has a daughter who loves him, and he kind of likes the daughter. He has an ex-wife who does not love him, and he does not like the ex-wife. He has a uh, a former secretary who is now his, I guess, girlfriend. I who guess. Has, they're They're not... <laughs> They're, yeah, they're not terribly fond of each other. And he is going away for <laughs> no. for several months and will not tell anyone where he is going, not even his attorney. Um, or his daughter. Who or his daughter. Just, uh, almost going to miss her wedding. Yeah. But he'll be back in time for the wedding, except he, he three months later, he's no one has heard from him. 
really. And uh, that's when we meet uh, Nick and Nora Charles, and the daughter Woo. basically brings them in to uh, try and help find out where the old man has gone. And the, the answer turns out to be to the choir invisible, but again, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> There are lots of uh, bodies start dropping, and everyone assumes that it's the the angry professor killing his his girlfriend slash mistress. He kills everybody. <laughs> he disappears and then kills everyone. Yeah, He's there, a ghost. there there are th- like two different stereotypical Italian mobsters, and one of them gets it, and uh, uh-huh. and finally. Uh, Nick investigates the case. He's brought into it. Um, he drinks continuously throughout the movie. <laughs> oh yes, as does his wife. Fantastic. He does, as does order his coffee m- at one point, though. Yeah, and um, that's how you know he's getting serious. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he he solves the plot and uh, calls everyone to the accusing parlor uh, for <laughs> for a little bit of a uh, party. A party. A Party. They have a party in which he uh, breaks down uh, basically who done it, and I just want to say I've seen this movie four or five, maybe six times, and each time I forget who did it, and I'm always surprised <laughs> at the end. I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, it was that guy. I always think it's that kid, the uh, uh, yeah. the son with the psychological fixation, Gilbert, that crazy crazy son. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. gonna be Cesar Romero. He's gonna no, it's not Cesar Romero. No, you not. idiot. The secret is it changes every time, Phil. Yeah. You just haven't noticed. <laughs> Wait, was that was that Cesar Romero playing Tanner? He's Chris. Yeah. No, he's just the, the gigolo. Yeah, who's yeah. already married to a another lady. Who, quite yeah. frankly, is my favorite character in this movie outside of Nick and Nora is Cesar Romero. And just the way someone suggests that he gets a job and the baleful look he gives them <laughs> as, he, as he leaves, the, as he wordlessly walks out of the room. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but man, he executes. Oh, man, yeah. that is that is great. Anyhow, as you can tell, I can't make heads or tails out of this plot. Um, <laughs> mostly, the movie exists for William Powell and Myrna Loy to say witty things to each other. Yes. And uh, in that, the movie delivers in in spades. They Every moment they are on the screen is a joy. Every mm-hmm. interaction they have with each other is a joy. The first 10 minutes where they are not anywhere to be seen is not good. Is not good. <laughs> And I thought not a pe- joy. people are going to turn off this movie uh-huh. and murder me. And- yeah. Well, part of the problem is Dorothy and and the other chump, uh, her husband, her husband to be, are right. just such simps. Yeah. Well, they, it's just they, me. Yeah, is, they, he doing, is he doing like a cut rate Jimmy Stewart impression through this entire movie? It's funny you should say that since Jimmy Stewart is in the is in the sequel. I almost yeah. got a Zeppo Marx feel out of him, to be honest. Oh, man, but he listened listen to his wow. intonation the richness of Zeppo Marx. <laughs> harshest thing you've ever said. No, go back. At some point, go back and listen to his dialogue delivery just because, like, I Oh, I think, I think he's swell. Dorothy, Dorothy, where'd you go in? Say, old man. I'm crazy about you, Dorothy. Perhaps Jimmy Stewart is doing an impression of this guy who just does it so much better that you've yeah. got it backwards now. That's a well, fair point. Remember... They only had sound for seven years in film by this point. It's so there, everybody still, sounded like Jimmy Stewart. talking like that. Well, my favorite is Julia, who you know you can't trust because a woman who cannot pronounce the word you should never be trusted. <laughs> what are yo going to do? It's one <laughs> syllable. Also, I enjoyed, yes, I enjoyed the hmm. later on pronunciation of suspects. 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 Yeah, everybody agreed on that in this movie. Is We're all pronouncing the verb instead of the noun. (laughs) Well, you know, my father was a sexagenarian, so... (laughs) (laughs) Is that what that means? Also, is the the fact that the the cop, the lieutenant, looks like a dead ringer for Josh Brolin? He's got that whole, like, square jaw thing going on. 
Le- my wife and I, um, Lisa Schmeiser of other podcasts, oh. uh, we like to we like to sit around <laughs> and recast old movies when we watch them. And she said, "Well, obviously, Josh Brolin." Is in the car. <laughs> also, my favorite bit of this entire movie is at the end where he reveals that that the Wynant is dead. Yep. The daughter freaks out. This is at the dinner party, and he says, "It's terrible. I have to tell you this way." He's like, no, you set this all up. You <laughs> yeah. could have told her any other way. He doesn't care. He's so loaded. I know. Yeah. I love. I agree with mm-hmm. Phil that uh, William Powell and Mirna Loy are the entire reason for watching oh, this yes. film. Oh there, there is no other reason to watch this movie. Wrong. 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 You guys. Ha- there is. The, they also have a dog. Okay. There is one other reason, and, and that reason is Asta. As a matter of fact, that was pretty much the only part of this movie that Stephen, my husband, paid attention to. Well. I was <laughs> yeah. while I was watching it, and then we watched uh, we watched the Maltese Falcon afterwards, several days later. And he was sort of watching the credits out of the corner of his eye, and he saw Mary Astor's name and got really excited for a second because <laughs> he thought the dog. dog was back. Yeah. And it's very sad. <laughs> I, I enjoy throughout this film the the uh, dog cutaways that happen. It's like <laughs> and a dog, dog <laughs> eating a balloon. Astor is utterly delightful. In 1934, they weren't ridiculously cliched and tired either. So dogs were new in 19. 19- the dog bits were interesting in that when he's so when when uh he goes to the the factory or the smelting whatever it is and yeah. figures out immediately what he already knows because it's really obvious that the guy never made it to his mystery vacation um what i like about it is that instead of having that moment where the dog like does trained dog things the dog is just like in the way and he yeah. keeps like moving the dog and picking yeah. the dog up and I like that because it was like a, a, an untrained dog like an actual it's like dog a real dog yeah. yeah there's a few times where the movie sort of head fakes towards a cliched situation like Nick is alone mm-hmm. in a room with a pretty yeah. girl Nora looks in and obviously yeah. is not jealous. She knows they're the perfect couple. There's nothing yeah. going on here. I, I noted that too. That's actually a good. I it could have easily been like a very like a setup as a jealousy scene and was not, which is great because yeah. we've seen that a million times. Well, and one of the nice things about the first Thin Man film because there were there are five more. There are many of, more. Yes, of varying mm. quality. Yeah, <laughs> steadily declining. But this is the only one that was written and released before the Hollywood Code. And right. so there's yes. a little more maturity to the relationships and there's a little more, you know, and a you lot can more mention drinking. divorce. Oh, yeah. There's some great, great uh, double entendres. The in Sullivan oh, Act. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Haven't you heard of the Sullivan Act? Oh, that's all right. We're married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says here you were shot five times in the tabloids. He never came near my tabloids. It's that's not true. Right. He didn't come anywhere near my tabloids. <laughs> There are laugh. I mean, you know, for a movie that is what, like, eighty years old, there are laugh out loud lines in this movie that mm-hmm. are still incredibly well written and very clever. I mean, it's it won't surprise anyone. This is in my top ten, maybe in my top five. I love I love the movie because of their relationship and the banter and oh, the chemistry know, is fantastic. The chemistry is fantastic, and it, you know, again, amazing to think. The studio didn't want either one of them. They thought she was too much of an oriental beauty. <laughs> and they oh, and they didn't okay. think they thought William Powell was too refined. He couldn't also play an oriental dirty. <laughs> but yes, he is an oriental beauty. Um, but yeah, they didn't think he could play uh, sardonic and wry. And uh. they just thought he was too nice. And it's like, oh, my God, they're the perfect casting for this. And which, and which that, is funny because this became his screen persona, where that's it's right. sardonic and wry. Even in uh, Mr. Roberts, this he's basically. What if we took the thin man and sent him <laughs> off to World War II? 
I just love the entire concept of the face detective agency. I think it's <laughs> oh, yeah, no. such mm-hmm. a great setup. I love the fact that instead of being, you know, a uh, hard knuckled, uh, you know, guy who's he's confident in himself because he's tough and uh, and can punch out whatever palooka happens to come by. Nick is confident because he's loaded the whole time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> and his devoted wife is equally loaded. In mm-hmm. fact, I, when he, we first meet her and she meets him in the hotel <laughs> right. trailing the dog, she, she, her direction to the bartender is, line up five martinis right here. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote down at that point, my God, it's the perfect woman. How many have you had? <laughs> Six. Line up five yeah. more. Line up five. Line, up five. line them up. Well, yeah, it, you get the sense that um, – since since uh, they're independently wealthy, um, what you've got here is uh, mystery solving for sport, right? So they're having yeah. a good time. They're having a lot, some drinks, and he's gonna kind of like. Plus, you get the sense with him, like I I can figure this out. Like like he's he's retired at this, but he was very good at it. And now he's just screwing around, but he's still so much better than everyone else that he's going to be able to put it all together. Yeah. Why I could figure this out three sheets to the wind. And and entertain himself while doing it. Cause I, so watching this movie, um, the first, yeah, the first 10, 15 minutes is really rough because it's smelting. Angry men <laughs> do smelting. Angry men smelting. <laughs> Twelve angry smelting. Yes, men. And along with some, he, and then he's angry at his girlfriend and there's bonds. Where are the bonds? Where it's are like, those I just bonds? don't, what is this that I'm Woman. seeing? But, but and I feel like um, I I liked it more with every scene, and I feel like mm. when I got to the end and I saw the the scene, which is that classic, uh, I'm going to gather all the reveal. suspects together. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. But the way it's done here, I, I, as I watched that scene, I thought, okay, I see why people love this movie because even if the the movie up to that point has got you know it, the plot is kind of twisty and 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 not that interesting and and the, there's good banter uh between Nick and Nora but this scene if you leave at the end of this scene this is your last thing in the movie well i understand why everybody would walk out with a smile because it is this set piece that is like almost like marx brothers level in its insanity it is set up by Nick. I, I feel like gleefully, like I'm just going to screw with everybody by doing it's this. Create we're as all, much chaos as possible. It's going to be a party too. I'm going to just serve drinks, and we're going to have. We're going to. They what, put what, down place cards. The murderer is right yep. in this room at this table. Serve the fish, right? So <laughs> just, um, just amazing. Will you serve the nuts? So it's it's Will like you serve I, the guests the nuts. It's like <laughs> that Agatha Christie kind of thing, you know, or or the classic detective. I wonder mm. why you all, you know, you wonder why I called you all here tonight. Except totally insane saying the people don't want to be there which i really liked it's yeah. like if you tried to get all your suspects together they wouldn't have come. a cocktail so so yeah have a cocktail <laughs> i get the feeling he wants so, us to have a drink so good so so that was for me that was like the moment where i just i just completely gave into this movie and just started cackling at everything also there's right before that there's the, a great montage it's like a newspaper a map a bus cars a silhouette a dog with there's the photo shoot of the with the dog for the newspapers right that's all really funny and then you get into the that the party and it's like of course Nick and Nora cuz he first off again he doesn't care he's just messing around and while he's messing around he will oh yes solve the murder that befuddles the police and that it's just a tour de force that whole scene I, I feel the basic dynamic of Nick and Nora is that Nick is entertained by the world and Nora is entertained by Nick by Nick yeah yes. so she spends most of the movie in fact most of the movies 
prodding him to get involved. And in this movie, <laughs> it's not until 50 minutes into a 90-minute movie that he finally says, all right, fine, I'm taking the case. <laughs> and it's like literally like, okay, if you want me to solve the murder that's been befuddling everyone all this time, all right, I'll do it. Because he, he could do it. He just yeah. doesn't care. He doesn't want He's trying to retire. Yeah. And he sends her off to Grant's tomb. I love that bit. How is Grant's oh. tomb? Lovely. I'm having a copy made for you. <laughs> the best part in that scene is, is, there, is, is, again, the chemistry between those two. There have been several places in the film where they're sort of making faces at each other. And mm. she, she's got mm-hmm. this little scrunchy face she makes mm-hmm. at him. And in that scene, she's on the phone. She knows he can't see her, but she's yep. still making the scrunchy face at yeah. him. And I think that's just such a sweet moment. And you know he knows she's doing it. There's some great background acting Early in the yes. movie, like 16 minutes in, where Macaulay is on the phone. Yes. She has the ice pack too. on her head, and he's poking <laughs> at her, and she's yeah. poking at him. And they're just mm. ignoring the movie completely, and it's the best thing. <laughs> and it seems real. It doesn't seem contrived at all. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's no. the most charming, that's the most charming moment, I think, in the entire movie. Yeah. Even the contrived moments. Like, I like the scene with the, the, the you know, the mobster in the bedroom with the gun. Oh. And he, likes, he socks her to get her out of the way of the of the gunshot. Oh, yeah. That seems unnecessary. And then, and then gets shot himself. Well, yeah, and he gets shot. He's like, no, 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 it's just a scratch. <laughs> That's fine, whatever. Well, let's just go to bed. What? And then when they wake her up, I'm like, yeah, when you've punched your wife in the face and knocked her out, the best way to wake her up is by pouring whiskey, <laughs> pouring whiskey straight down, down her throat. Yep. Excellent idea. Well, she's a girl with hair on her chest. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> I was, I was going to mention that. This movie has There's a Girl with Hair on Her Chest, which is a good comparison to Maltese Falcon's You're a Good Man, Sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the other thing I enjoy about the Nick character is, especially say in contrast to Sam Spade, all of Nick's friends are are low lifes and, yeah. and people yeah. he, he sent uh, up the river and oh, yeah. hey Nick, well, he seems to have sent yeah pretty yeah. much every criminal in Manhattan to jail at some point, and most of them are buds with him now. Yeah, none of them hold a grudge. And this happened. This happens throughout the the, the Thin Man movies. It's hey yeah. Nick, remember when you testified against me? <laughs> you got me fair and square. I led with my uppercut. Yeah, when the guy comes to the door and he's like, I haven't seen you in a long time. Well, I needed the rest. (laughs) There's a strong implication that he was the super hard-bitten, two-fisted guy. Yeah. Because there's the line, you don't have to tell me you're tough. I heard about you. That he was out Philip Marlowing around before he got romance. And and in the book, I mean, there's only (laughs) one actual book that he wrote um, with Nick and Nora. And and it came out four months before the movie, so they were already making the movie before it came out. And I and I went, oh yes, I have to read this because I love the movie. And um, the the book is much more Sam Spadeish. I mean, mm-hmm. there is the relationship, there is the banter between them, but he's much more of a jerk, and it's not as much fun. And it is, it's if you love the movies, don't there's read way characters. more plot. It's a lot less. It's a lot. What is it? Like, just a lot of grittier in some yes. ways, right? Like, yes. the stuff of the family, the winance is all kind of... You get detail. creepier. And, and you don't you don't <laughs> want detail there. Yeah. Imagine Gilbert, but not played for laughs. Right. Yeah. Whereas the movie... Um, now, and again, all of the things in the movie were already starting to be tropes at the time. You know, gathering all the suspects. And, and so <laughs> they're kind of making fun of that at the same time. Um which is why that's so brilliant. I mean, if you watch any Charlie Chan film, if you can even find them these days, or uh, you know, they did a couple of Ellery Queen films, or any any kind of mystery from the 30s, you will see the exact same template over and over and over and over. And there's a reason this one endures, and it's it's Powell and Loy and the dialogue and, and the crackle. 
Because the just... plot the plot is terrible, and yes, even though I could follow it, let me let, let's just say the cops are really not good at their jobs. Because they come into a room, it, it Nick is, supplies them with cocktails. It is so obvious that if you have a guy who disappears, I mean, Nick goes to the goes to the smelting whatever, and and with his dog. And within like five minutes has figured out that the guy must have uh, have already been killed, which is is really obvious. And even when they find the body, the cops are like, oh, this must have been one of his victims. Really? (laughs) Really, policeman? (laughs) They buried him with fat pants. Let's get that giant pair of pants. Come on. Well, the the scene, though, at the dinner party where he mentions the cops were like, oh, yeah. And the lieutenant was thrown off for a while. This is we can skip past that part. (laughs) Yeah, that 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 is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to defend these cops because (laughs) unlike the cops in most detective stories, especially hard bitten detective stories, they know they're terrible. (laughs) As soon as. Well, they do try to hire him. They keep begging Nick to join. Them yes, and help yeah. true. Like, there's no dancing around. As, as soon as Nick says, hey, I'm sort of interested, what do you know? They're like, here's every single thing we know. <laughs> yep. yeah. We would welcome any help you can give us. Please fix this for us. They are, they are like one step ahead of the uh, cops in the 1966 Batman series. Yeah. <laughs> Batman, help us, please. Well, Commissioner, okay. When Nunheim skips out on him and, you know, he start, Nick starts calling up the pl- I'm calling your I'm calling your friends so they can trail him. Trail who? I will say there is there is one other character apart from Nick and Nora who is delightful, and that's Nunheim's girlfriend. Yes. Who, gets, who, had, yeah. who had a spectacular part because not only, you know, we first see her, well, not the first time we see her, but the second time we see her, she gets to throw a frying pan essentially at the camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. And then she has the, the you know, the thing, I, I, I don't like crooks. If I did like crooks, I, I wouldn't like stool pigeons. And if I did like stool pigeons, I wouldn't like you. And then stomps out. And then she gets invited to the dinner party. Yeah, I yep. like how she yes. and uh, the other hood kind of make an instant connection at the dinner party as fellow ne'er-do-wells. Yeah. It's like they've known each other for years. It's also great that, I mean, again, the whole trope of inviting everybody is like, uh, yeah, a dozen of these people, it doesn't matter if they're there. Like, no. does it really yeah. matter if she's there? No, but like, hey, you got a free dinner out of the deal. There are so many people at the party that at one point I was thinking, are, do they have like two tables, like, you know, at, at Thanksgiving? Where we you have got, a like, kid's the, table. The guests over here and the suspects sit at this table. The suspects. Well, the suspects. Jason, everyone was very thin back then yeah they could all <laughs> well what especially that old guy the thin man yes. a man who weighs 250 pounds has to be crippled carrying around yeah. all that weight can you imagine a 5 foot 11 250 pound man that's crazy that's insane yeah. <laughs> yes he has to have a cane i like the the mobster um who we know is a mobster because when we first see him he's in extreme shadow <laughs> yes and he has a scar on his face scar. and a hat Oh, it's like you talk about Nunheim. Yeah. That's a mo- yeah. that's a mobster. Is that is that Nunheim? That yeah. is Nunheim. Scar, yeah, I just know him. Scar Hat Man. He's John Lovitz by way of Robert Downey. Yes, Jr. yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. He is. Yes, I love that. I love that character. He is Tommy Flanagan, and he's really interesting too because because he's sort of like a just a, he has two facets. He's very meek and wimpy, but when he's in person, but on the phone, he's very creepy. And he's strong. menacing. That's right. He's, yep. He does have a kind of a bifid character he's the 1930 whatever version of the internet tough guy yeah Uh, (laughs) he's a troll he's a troll it's funny that someone mentioned robert downey jr because i feel like he's kind of channeling and channeling william powell in the latter half of his career basically yeah Uh, most of his totally yeah 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 totally no 
the one thing I, I, I think when I watch The Thin Man is, boy, I, I wish that movies today had the chemistry that uh, 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 William Pell and Myrna Loy have in this movie. Mm-hmm. That, oh, that's yeah. pretty amazing. With a, with a better script, obviously. Yeah. I'd like to take the opportunity to recommend, if you enjoy the chemistry of Nick and Nora Charles in The Thin Man, listening to the Thrilling Adventure Hour yes. podcast, specifically mm-hmm. the Beyond Belief segments in which Paul F. Tompkins and Paget Brewster are basically doing Nick and Nora Charles, except also they see ghosts. Oh. Yeah, which which you won't necessarily, you're not guaranteed to like it if you like Nick and Nora. If, if possible, they're drunker. Right. Yeah, I, I figure yes. that Nick and Nora, if they continue with the drinking at the level they are, they will, they will be seeing ghosts before long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. <laughs> Ironically, the uh, I think the the awesome chemistry between William Powell and Myrna Loy, Myrna Loy, whom I would watch pretty much do anything. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Is, is why, Man. yeah, is why is why I think I liked this movie less this time than the first time. Um, and like I said, these two movies dosy doed in my head because I had really liked The Thin Man. You you are a strange person with your. <laughs> Well, the reason the reason is because the first time I saw it, I was discovering them doing this for the first time and I loved it. So I kind of built that up in my head and I didn't realize how much of the movie has, you know, a, a lack of them yeah, talking smelting. to each other. Smelting. Yeah. And then and then the plot itself, I didn't care too much about the plot the first time because I was just completely dazzled by their chemistry and their banter. And this time... Because, you know, I was still enjoying it, but I was also trying to focus more on the plot, which, yeah, is kind of kind of lame. Um, so I, I still completely loved to watch the two of them together. And I, I adore the uh, the dinner scene at the end because it's just 100 percent delightful. But but, yeah, I think if I were to watch it again, I would it would probably be a little bit better because I wouldn't be expecting quite as much screen time for the two of them. And that's where it fell down for me. Well, to, to Erica's point. The the, the uh, I have I have not seen this movie in about thirty years, and the Nick and Nora interplay and their characters are so strong that I really didn't remember anything else about the movie. And so when I was watching the first ten minutes of the movie, I said, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> I, I thought you know, as as I'm looking at it, and then and then you finally get the scene in the hotel where Nora, which is the you know. Possibly the greatest entrance ever mm-hmm. is Nora coming in, pulled along by Aston, dropping all the packages and falling on her face. That's how I thought the movie started. That in my head, that was <laughs> that was the beginning of the movie. And in fact, you know, it is the beginning of the real movie. Everything before then is you've got a guy who is somehow both absent, an absent-minded genius, but also a really angry man who wants to kill people. I, you know, yeah. I legitimately checked iTunes to see if I had accidentally started uh, off. <laughs> <laughs> yep. the, the first 10 minutes are very confusing. I know the pacing at the beginning of the movie is terrible because there's 11 minutes without Nick and Nora. But at the end of the movie, there is two minutes between here's who the murderer is and the movie is over. Oh, yeah. yeah. And in that two yeah. minutes, we have time for Nick and Nora to go off and have sex. Yeah, the yep. movie ends with him jumping <laughs> yep. her bones as he clearly should, which is great. Yes. There's none mm-hmm. of this chased separate beds bull crap. Yeah. This is a married couple. They're going to go have sex now. That's the end of the movie. Good night, everybody. Dog's going on the top shelf. I'm going on Nora. But, but they that they do have separate beds. That's true. Early they on. they don't use them. Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's stupid. It's there. And e- even Tommy and Dorothy seem to have sex, which is, is unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Especially well, given time. It's okay. I mean, look at those two. Yeah, it's, yeah it does seem hard to believe I don't that know that's that. working. But. What's the deal with Gilbert? <laughs> He's just a weirdo. 
What's the deal with him? Everybody wants He's to know. He's a strange... What's eating What's Gilbert? Eating Gilbert? Strange. <laughs> He's the young uh, version of Hume Cronin in... Uh, uh, yes, see. that's in what I was thinking, too. In I the saw Shadow him, too. I was gazing in my crystal. <laughs> okay, you Gilbert. Which is Zardoz. <laughs> I just like how everybody is put <laughs> off Morelli. by him. Morelli, hold your knife some other way. Um. You're worrying Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to suggest that it's possible that Gilbert smells of gardenias. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I just like the idea how close he stands to that. Like the, uh, oh, I've never seen a dead body before. Da, 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 don't come down with us. We'll uh, we'll bring the body up to you. Yeah. Oh, that was good. <laughs> They're all put off in that well, one cop and like sidling into the elevator. He's he's funny. He's a little over the top, but it's almost like he dropped in from another movie. Yeah. 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 I think he's, um, uh, Lisa was, we watched it together and she was pointing out that he's a parody of, um, uh, a certain kind of ni- late 1920s, early 1930s uh, faux intellectualism. Ah, uh, but uh, this uh, is kind of a weird. That's, that's yeah, funny. yeah. Basically, just uh, I'm books. I- I'm book smart, but not street smart. Well, he's to show you that that whole family is screwy. Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, even the cop gets to look down on him. He probably has a slim volume of poetry bound in limp leather. <laughs> A Gilbert and Sullivan reference. Deal with that. So I have, I have a few uh, disparate notes, as is my want with movies that I really like. Uh, for starters, what is with the thimble posing as a cocktail glass? When they're drinking martinis, they're these minuscule. Th- they're more like a martini. <laughs> well, that's that's why they have to drink thirty of them. I guess that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> that was the that was the style at the wow, time. Well, I'm glad we've moved past those. Oh yeah, now pages. now we have comical novel, novelty sized glasses. So it's all and the word good. martini doesn't mean anything. Uh, I love the party scene because I, I love that we get to go through every single type of drunk in this in this. Uh, <laughs> yes, I the, need to call mother. Barely oh, yeah. San Francisco. I love my mother. My mother. Uh, You've got the barely coherent smiling bum who thinks Nick's wife is great. The guy uh, <laughs> weeping into his highball for no reason. The the lecherous old creep. Uh, journalists. I mean, they're all here, and it's it's just, just fantastic. Journalists. And then the the uh, the I love the punchline there too, which is, "Oh, Nikki, I love you because you know such lovely people." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think she's only half joking there. Oh, she's not joking. She's no, serious. Not at all. Yeah, she thinks this is neat. <laughs> yes, she's totally she's into slumming slumming. it. Yeah. I think the single greatest moment in the film for me is probably um, when uh, the cops are fishing around in the dresser and they find the gun. And Nora says, what's that man doing in my drawers? My drawers. <laughs> yep. And there's the most unbelievable tear-inducing reaction shot of Powell. In the, it's, <laughs> it's just so over the top. That's his second biggest take, I think. Oh, <laughs> my God. He mm-hmm. has another take ending a scene. I forget what she says, but he goes, oh, it's, what? It's, what? Yeah, that one didn't make any sense. It's the, uh, I was just a tinkle or a... Uh, twinkle in my father's eye. Father's yeah. Oh, yeah. Beam in my father's <laughs> eye, yeah. He's blown what? away by that um, I like I like when she says, "Oh, it's some being not helpful at all." Oh, so it's someone for you. A- a- as behind her is a guy with a gun. Like yeah. that's, that's really good. She doesn't see him. She's like, "Oh, this guy came for you." Oh. I uh, I wanted to call out how great the lighting in the scene where he's searching the shop is, mm-hmm. which is just mm-hmm. basically shadows and the flashlight on occasion yeah. the flashlight beam. I mean, it's such a it's such an otherwise light movie, and yet there's this this moment where it's just marvelously creepy as he's kind of searching through the show. Now, my notes say, "What could a good director have done with that scene?" <laughs> <laughs> Somebody yeah. who was willing to take, let's say, three takes. Strong words for W. S. Van Dyke. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just too muddy. 
I, I don't, I just, it, it didn't, I think that, you know, a, a real director with a, re, a, with a real cinematographer who isn't shooting a movie in 14 days might have been able to light that a lot better and make it look more menacing. I just think, I think the whole scene looks muddy. I, the version I so I watched the streamed version on on Amazon and it was just a also a it's a terrible print like yeah. it's really mm. grainy and scratchy like that that movie is in need of a good just sort of re- restoration mastering yeah. restoration whatever well it, yeah it could be that my DVD is a bad copy yeah my DVD no, I, is fine I don't, yeah I don't yeah okay, mine, I, I'm just curious because the Amazon I, version is pretty terrible yeah I had the I, I, iTunes stream and it was not not very good no it's it's pretty uh, pretty ragged I think that scene works for me because it's muddy. I mean, if it had lasted any longer, it would have been irritating. But because of the fact that it's so dark and there's so little that you can make out and it actually works for me. But I, I get your point. I wanted to mention um, the, the weird pronunciations. We mentioned suspects later, <laughs> but also we get uh, perhaps it was the work of a sadist or a paranoia. <laughs> yes. That's yes. why they're suspicious of him. <laughs> Maybe it's just guilt. You guys are going to replace this dialogue with interstitials later, right? Yeah, a sadist is just someone who's really sad, Jason. Yeah. yeah. yeah not not just really sadist. sad, the most sad. Who gets off on being sad. He's clearly a bookish kid. When you read a lot of books mm-hmm. and don't hear words said, you pronounce them wrong. So, uh, Last thing I wanted to mention, I just wanted to call out how wonderful I find Nora's wardrobe. Mm. Almost oh, every yes. dress she yeah. comes out in looks like a freeze frame from the chestburster scene in Alien, and I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I actually have a uh, one of my notes just says best, period, pantsuit, period, ever, period. Yep. <laughs> She's fantastic. Do you have an evening dress? Yes, I got one. It's, it's a Lulu. It's a Lulu. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course she does. Look at her. Do you have an she's, evening she's dress? She's a rich heiress. Of course she has a party. Yeah, of course. She well, does. she even makes the ice pack bag tied to her head look wonderful in that uh, in that early scene. Yeah, yeah. like maybe she that's does. a thing people are doing now. Mm-hmm. And her robe. Oh my god, I want that robe so bad. One other character that I that I liked, um, who has almost no screen time whatsoever, is uh, Jorgensen's wife. The first Mrs. Jorgensen. First Mrs. Jorgensen, and she, yes. Yeah. And, and when she she said, park it over there, sister. I've been Mrs. Jorgensen for a longer than you have. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, if you really like William Powell here and you're willing to take a slight downgrade in his partner, I strongly recommend My Man Godfrey. Oh, yes. no. Here, That's here. great. My Man Godfrey has Carol Lombard, who is not quite Myrna Loy, but is very, she'll do. Very good. All right, Phil, what do we learn? I, I sometimes place little bets with myself on which movie will be the better regarded, and I would have <laughs> lost tonight. Um, but, you know, that's okay. I'm glad that you enjoyed one of the two movies um, that, that that we curated for you. Well, I, I it's not... I think many people enjoyed uh, The Maltese Falcon. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. No, you've ruined my evening. Although I, I will say, I, I, I think maybe I've decided that I don't like film noir. I think maybe I've decided I th- that. I think that's what we've discovered, and you've broken my, you've broken my heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Missing out. Missing out. No, well, apparently not, not based on what I've seen. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> maybe not my cup of tea. It's not know. tea, it's coffee black like your soul yeah i, I want a movie with uh with nick and nora charles and uh and uh, mr cairo and the fat man how about that i would okay. totally do wow that. yeah the fat man meets the thin man oh you know the oh, fanfic, the fanfic hey. is probably out there well we're gonna we're gonna button up the old old movie club again yep button it up
Button it up. <laughs> As we do always. We're going to zip it up. We're going to punch it in the face, and it's going to fall flat and uh, lay And then we're going to go through its pockets and look at its, uh, look at its belongings. Old Movie Club, where we take old movies and hit them with a large stick. Old Movie Club smells of gardenias. <laughs> <laughs> Piano trill. <laughs> Couldn't we just hit the movies with the club? Like I assumed we had an old movie club. And we yeah, just we kinda... club it. <laughs> <laughs> we use it to club old movies. That's the, you've, you've solved the name of the thing, Monty. Uh, Erica Ensign, thank you for being here. Th- these were um, these are in your uh, more in your time period. I yes, I this is I I've been thrilled to uh, to be watching movies not only that I've already seen but that I that I really liked and and by gad sirs you are chaps worth knowing amazing characters. Uh, oh, I don't uh, know. Steve Lutz, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Uh if they hang you, I'll always remember you. <laughs> are you some sort of sadist or paranoia? Uh Monty <laughs> Ashley. Thank you. Haven't you heard the news? I'm a gentleman now. <laughs> Smells of gardenias and everything. <laughs> David Lore, thank you. I, I'm I'm going to go cheer myself up by watching The Third Man again. Yeah, that's on tonight. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> Dan Morin, thank you very much. It's the only way it makes sense, Jason. <laughs> Do- <laughs> Dr. Drang, thank you for joining us and not just in the chat room. It was nice having you here. Well, thank you. The best goodbyes are short. Adieu. And Philip Michaels, thank you for once again curating our old movie club. Well, Jason, as I always say when we sign off, all we've got is that maybe you love me and maybe I love you. I'll have some rotten nights after I've sent you over. Okay. <laughs> but that'll pass. <laughs> and to everybody out there, thanks for listening. Good night. I'm going to sleep with crumpled newspapers around the bed in case somebody tries to get me. <laughs> <laughs>